You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. X-Man Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Yeah, it's been another one of those days. Another day where, you know, things happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm being purposefully vague. Excuse me. Excuse my vagaries. I don't even know if that's a, a word, but I'm I'm going to use it. <laughs> and uh, I've been galvanized by a certain type of I guess, raw, molten anger. And it's interesting because I'm, I'm rarely angry. It's not one of my motivating emotions or primary emotions. And it's, but it's something I notice in others fairly easily because a lot of people, especially, uh, people with insecurities, the way they process sadness is through anger because sadness is vulnerable. It's, uh, it needs to be kind of nurtured to, and it's, it's a, it's a recognition, but sadness and, you know, uh, kind of properly dealing with sadness can, can be nurturing and it can, it can, it can help. It can, it's a health, there's healthy ways, you know, to deal with that. That's why they say part of the reason why women live longer, they, they can cry easily and process their emotion. Us men, we, we hold it in, but anger is empowering. Anger has action attached to it. It's a motivator. It gets you out of bed in the morning. Heard the phrase hate is as any good reason to do just about anything. Pretty sure that's from Game of Thrones, The Hound, or something like that. I'm sure I'm paraphrasing, but it's not necessarily a, an emotion I'm I'm totally comfortable with because I think at its heart it's kind of corrosive to the spirit. And 
And yet there's a, there's a utility to it. There's a utility to most emotions, right? This is, I, I, I had the good fortune to go to therapy a, a few years ago and I developed a relationship with my own emotions, interpreting them, understanding them that it's not bad to feel sad. It's not bad to feel, you know, you kind of, you got to go through those things to process whatever life is kind of handling, handing to you. That goes awry, of course, when there's a chemical reason maybe that you're sad. Of course, there. so you have there's ways to deal with that. But there is a utility to emotions. And I think my emotions today were congruent with the activity. And it's been building. It's something that's been building for, for quite some time. So I'm not going to ignore my anger. I'm going to lean into it to some degree, even though it's not necessarily natural. Because you need that momentum to carry you through actions that just have to have certain things just have to get done. And we need that why to do. As I say, you might know what to do. You might know how to do, but why to do is your motivation. Like an actor says when they're arguing with a director, excuse me, Mr. Spielberg, what's, what's my motivation? (laughs) And some, some things weren't that, and I never thought I'd be here. I never thought I'd be in a position to be engaged in some type of conflict, especially with people that, uh, were very close to me. And it's sad at the heart of it. It is very, very sad and very depressing and futile, right? Like why? It, it, it has this feeling of inevitability. One of my favorite films is called I Heart Huckabees. And two of the protagonists are trying to deal with the uh, absurdity of human drama affecting their lives. So they, they go through this period of hitting themselves in a with a balloon to just be, right? Kind of find some zen uh, stasis to be a part of the earth and not even be, you know, to, you know, it's, it's, it's in a way, it's a way of kind of numbing to some degree. And the point of uh, one of the uh, therapists or the, the, in the, in in the film is that no matter what you can't, you can't control your Zen that eventually something, the chaotic nature of, of the universe will eventually kind of tip over your bowl of soup, no matter what you do. There's no way to completely avoid it. So my default setting is usually to find out how I'm culpable in whatever uh, quandary I'm in, right? Self-accountability, all right? How, because I do, I do feel like most of us are the cause of most of our, our issues. If we, if we can just do enough positive pattern recognition, we can say, okay, how is the, am I dating the same kind of person? Am I working the same type of shitty job? Am I, uh, befriending the same type of terrible people that are getting me these unsatisfactory results? And so I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've had to ask myself, why have I been affixed to narcissists and sociopaths? Is it my fault? Maybe, maybe it does say something a little about me. I don't know some work I'm going to have to do because I think 
that methodology is always the most empowering. Looking to the world to solve problems for you, asking why it's not fair. I deserve better. As I've said to a lot of people, take the word deserve and remove it from your fucking vocabulary. Doesn't matter. There's no such thing as deserve. Things just happen. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. And the universe does not give a whole lot of shit about what you or I think we deserve. So I look at whatever lot I have and I'm going to try and approach it with reasonable strength. Whatever that means. All right. And not getting into despair. And don't, and actually don't lower yourself to the conduct of your uh, adversary. It's not helpful. It's not helpful. As I say, when everyone is covered in shit, it's hard to tell who's dirty. And, and that makes it really tough. It is, it is a, it is a fucking tough one, guys. And again, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I might be speaking in kind of vague terms or platitudes, but that's just how it has to be right now. So, all right. I don't even, honestly, I started this. I didn't even know what I was going to say. I really wasn't sure, but things, you know, sometimes I record this just, it's just what's happening that day. (laughs) Good Lord. All right. We do not have a sponsor this week, which is perfectly fine. We do have a guest though, and we have someone who I've thought about getting on the show for quite some time. Luckily he reached out to me a while back and really goes back to my New Jersey hardcore scene roots. And if you're from New Jersey, uh, or even, you know, the Northeast, I mean, if you're of a certain time, nineties, hardcore metalcore, what have you, you might know this guy, you might know his band fury of five. And he goes by a few names, Stickman, James is mean. <laughs> uh, we'll just call him James for now. Uh, he, he is quite a character and someone that befriended myself and a couple of other guys and God forbid, when we first got into the scene, you'll hear us talk about that, but it's always really great to talk to some of these individuals who just like I said, if you know, if you were there for it, then, you know, and if you don't, you probably don't. So I don't know if this, this conversation will, uh, connect for everyone, but it's really important for me to bring uh, the history and the kind of localities of, of where I came from and, and the things that influenced me to the show. So, uh, it gets pretty wild. Uh, we, he tells some crazy stories and <laughs> some of it, I don't know if I could, I can't really endorse it. I, I hope, uh, I'm laughing about some of the stuff. It's funny. And that is mainly from the context of, I think how it was perceived back in the day. I think with, uh, as time has gone, gone on, you, you get more mature and you kind of maybe see the gravity of, of some of this, this stuff and you see it from, you see it from a different perspective. Uh, but it's still hard not to think about it in cartoonish terms of, of how we thought about it from back in the day. So anyway, I'm, uh, <laughs> 
with all that said, anyway, I, th- I hope you guys really enjoy this. I, th- I think it was a really fun conversation. So please check out my conversation with the awesome James is mean, Mr. Stickman from Fury 5. Well, first off, I just want to thank you for taking your time to uh, be on the show. You're someone I've you know thought about for a, a long time, and we've known each other. I mean, going back to like I don't know, 1998, maybe something like that, around around that time. Maybe even yeah, maybe like 96. Yeah, maybe maybe before that. You know, maybe maybe before that. You know, 96, maybe. I actually, 90, late late 95. You guys were super young, you and your brother. You know what I mean? Like young kids. You know. Well, I think. I think I literally met you and a couple of the other guys at the second show me and brother ever went to. It was the second or third show. And I remember you were just, I was like surprised because, you know, people, you guys were considered almost legendary, you know, amongst that circle of, of, of people. And, but the thing that was cool is that was you guys were really nice to us, me and my brother, like right away, which was very, we were almost I was almost taken aback like oh these are like legit dudes within the scene and you guys were very welcoming which was uh, something I remember well we we were always those guys until you know if somebody disrespected us and you know then we we got on some you know on some bullshit you know what I mean you know we had you know a lot of a lot of violent moments but but for the most part I myself was always a scene builder. I always wanted to look out for up and coming bands and keeping the scene going, you know what I mean? But also we were destructive in, in many ways, you know, but like it was more towards like the clubs, the bouncers, white power dudes, you know, idiots, you know what I mean? So like, you know, on a scale, you, you know, it didn't really balance. So we, we, we got stigmatized as, you know, violent dudes, angry dudes, assholes, you know what I mean? But for the most part, we, like, listen, we're, Fury 5, we were down-to-earth people. We were a people's band. We chilled with the people. You know, I was never a backstage hiding in a room with a bunch of chicks or, you know what I mean? I was out marching for the next band or, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? We were we were down with the people, and I, I'm still that guy, you know what I mean? I'm Like, right now, I'm looking out for the band reaching out which is made up of a whole bunch of old school heads, kids, which is amazing. You know what I mean? Reaching out, shout out to them. Love those kids. They're awesome. You know what I mean? You know, you got Beto's son in there playing guitar from Mad Ball. You got uh, my friend Kevin Craig's daughter uh, singing. Uh, Gene from Second to None, son playing drums in it. It, it just, it's just, It's just great, you know? So I've been repping those guys, you know, doing my thing you know it is what it is so on, on this show i usually don't do a lot of biography stuff but right you're a pretty interesting guy and i don't really know that much about your background where, where are you from originally well i was born in e-town that's where you know uh you know a couple of uh years i spent there but i i i grew up in in uh long branch most of my childhood to to about like 12 and then from 12 to 13, I was just out of control child. And I was, you know, all over the place in juvenile detention a couple of times. You know, I lived with foster parents, you know, but, you know, my birthplace is E-Town. But, you know, I lived everywhere in New Jersey, bro. <laughs> 
you know, just, just, just crazy dude, bro. Crazy upbringing, you know, yeah, it's nuts. Well, that's but, you know, you guys, you know, and it's the interesting thing about the, the hardcore scene in New Jersey around the time, or, or even around, I'd say the entire tri-state area, even up to Boston was that I noticed is how, even though it was mostly like white people, it was very urban, you know, like everyone seemed to be from, at least in New Jersey, from urban centers and kind of was influenced by more street life, you know? And well, 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 that's because most, the, the genre of hardcore came from the low income side of people. Yeah. So, you know, me, I was raised very hood. You know, I was very in, in that culture, you know, and, uh, you know, and I, it just influenced me and, and I brought it with me like rap and, and, you know, just, you know, break dancing and, you know, like just, just the rhythm of all that just came into, to what we were doing, all my bands, you know what I mean? Not just Fury of Five, you know, Fury of Five was the peak of where I got, you know, I started in the eighties with Locked Up In Life and then I got in trouble, did some time, came out, restarted the band and then from Locked Up In Life went to Position of Power and, you know, that, that street hip hop vibe always followed right into whatever I was doing up until even like, you know, then I started Box Cutter, which was like a rap metal band, which I tried to get away from Fury of Five because I knew I could never top that at that time in my life. So I wanted to, you know, separate myself from that. Yeah. But, you know, but people love the Box Cutter, man. Actually, Mad Joe Black, when, uh, you know, they just played that show in New York City. And uh, he was like, yo, I was listening to that Box Cutter stuff. And it's really dope i was like yeah but i've been telling you that people want to see it but it is what it is but you know i you know it all it all comes from the lower income you know what i mean like you know even like e-town you know what I mean? concrete anthony he speaks about his childhood having no money you know what i mean so when you come from a you know a broke mentality you know you 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 put that into music and you know that's the same Basis of hip hop was how it was founded. Low income people rhyming to make money. You know what I mean? And it just, you know, it just snowballed. And hip hop is like, I, I don't even, I don't even talk about hip hop now. It's weird to me, but, but I pay attention to all of it. I know every single rapper that's out right now. I pay. I still try to get influences from everywhere. You know what I'm saying? So to keep my my lingo my my lingo fresh. You know. Yeah, and, and the and the vibe is still in touch with what's going on with the newer generations. Even though I'm 53, and they probably don't even care what the hell I got to say anymore. <laughs> but it is what it is. Where, where does the nickname Stickman come from? How did you get that name? Well, um, I had, uh, you know, I was, you know, I was skinhead in the 80s, you know, and uh, I had moved to Tom's River, and. Uh, I was blasting Warzone. The guy, Bill Jeffers, I lived down a couple doors down, came to my apartment, knocked on the door. I met these dudes and I met Social Decay, Lethal Aggression. And uh, we were at a party and the, 
Tommy Southers from um, Social Decay, he just coined the name Stickman, and it just stuck because I was so freaking skinny, like an Ethiopian. Like, I was, like, 6'2 and 145 pounds, bro. Like, I was skinning bones and a skater and just lanky, and, and the name just stuck. And then, you know, in, in 1988, I, you know, I caught some charges. I went to, uh, you know, I got locked up and I came out. I was there for two years. It came out 220, and but the name just always stuck, Stickman, you know? So I just went with it, you know? Got it on my neck. <laughs> but, you know, now it's infamous through, through through New Jersey hardcore. You know, sometimes I I wish I could get away from that name because I like between me and you, Dot. I'm not even close to the guy that I once was in Fury of Five. You yeah. know what I mean? Like like I'm a totally different dude, different level. You know what I mean? Like I've elevated myself. I've learned a lot in my life. I have a lot of closure in my life. So you know. My mental is different. I got a great job, make a lot of money. You know what I mean? So shout out to the mics, you know, for blessing me in 2014. Got the company logo on my chin, under my chin. <laughs> yeah, I got branded myself with the company logo. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not even close to James Ismean. You know what I mean? Like, that's why, like, I, I never really sought to do Fury of Five because I always felt like I would be robbing the people because – that part of my life was so filled with hate and anger. Like, and I don't have that in me. I mean, I don't want to say I don't have it in me. I, I just don't have it to that caliber anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I think like that I'm, you know, robbing the people more or less. You know what I mean? I'm not given that authentic the way that was written. You know what I mean? But, you know, it was a time in my life. And like I always said in many interviews, I only use music as a ventilation. You know what I mean? Like I was more, I'm more of a death metal guy. You know what I'm saying? But like, you know, like, you know, you come through my playlist, you know, I'm listening to supplication, malevolent creation, you know, like DSI. Yeah, like that's, that's where I come from. I was, I was a metalhead, but I crossed over in the 80s because I like the realism that came with hardcore, the lyrics. You know what I mean? And just, uh, you know, about life. You know, I wasn't into the Dungeons and Dragons and the Satan. And, you know, at one time I was, but then I grew out of that. You know what I mean? Like the black metal and, the, you know, you know, the goat heads and the pentagrams and, you know, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, you know, I'm a crossover guy, man. You know, I just used hardcore to, to vent because I was so mad. And that's what I, you know, identified when I, you know, got, went to my first hardcore show at the Fast Lanes, and uh, it was Token Entry, The Undead. I remember it like yesterday, and it was the first time Tim, Tim Chunks was singing with for Token Entry, Chronic Fear played, and I was like, yo, this is, I need this. You know what I mean? The mosh, and, you know, I would go to CBGBs and watch them and learn, come home through the breakdown demo, practice. And when I lived in Lakewood, we would practice moshing. So when we went to New York City, we was ready to get in the pit. Yo, we was nuts, dude. But it is it, it, great. You know, just, man, just good times, man. Music is the shit, bro. Like, I'll never not be a part of music. Like I said, jumping off the stage, like, last, uh, like, two weeks, three weeks ago, yo, like a little kid. Like, I never stopped doing it. Like, I was just like, you know, like, it was like natural, you know, just busting stage dive flips. 
And Moss, you know, oh, was great, man. I'll never stop. I'll do it until I'm dead, bro. <laughs> so you, you were talking about just some of that anger and, and hatred kind of that was fuel, fueling you during some of those years. I mean, where did that come from? Where was your hatred kind of directed at? Well, you know, I had a, you know, crazy childhood, you know, very abused. Um, you know, mother not there, father not there, raised by the grandparents, you know, not no parental supervision. Most of my life, I was able to do whatever I fuck I wanted. You know what I mean? Like, and w without, without repercussions. And even if there was repercussions, I didn't care. You know what I mean? I care now. You know what I mean? Like I never, I don't, you know, I, you know, I would not want to go to jail now. You know what I mean? But like, you know, just being abused, you know, be, um, you know, just seeing crazy things, seeing my mom be beat by a man, you know, like just crazy stuff. And then yeah, I got married at a young age and then I had a child stripped from me that I met in 2010, like, yo, just crazy stuff. So, but as I got older, I got closure, you know, in the two thousands, you know, I, I went through a bad, uh, drug addiction in 2002, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I, I had a mild heart attack from, you know, cocaine abuse. And, you know, I just, a lot, a lot of things, you know, like I still struggle with depression because of all this, you know, like, you know, my wife, she knows, she knows exactly when I get into a funk and I can go into a funk for a couple of days, but this is why I ride a lot because it clears my head. But like, you know, I'm a head case, you know, I have like mad demons, many voices, things trying to make me destroy my life. You know what I mean? Like all the time, I think about death constantly. I think I'm dying every day. You know, I'm just fucking out there, but I have it under control. I've never been like to a doctor and being like diagnosed with ADD or, you know, any of that stuff, but I'm sure I got all that bipolar stuff. You know what I mean? Let's just like, you know, all self-diagnosed, but like, you know, just all this stuff was pent up and it came out in the nineties, like a, like a savage, you know what I mean? It, it, when I got my, like when I got strength, when I was stick, man, I was crazy when I was skinny, when I was skinny stick, man. And you know, if my friend Bapo was still alive, he could, he could attest to this. Um, I would fight. I was always a scrapper. I would get my ass kicked, but then I got locked up and got my weight up. And the first person I ever knocked out was in jail. And I said, Oh, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I arrived. I arrived. That's when I knew when I like, people would tell me like, yo, you got big arms. I'm like, what? You know, there's no mirrors in jail. You know what I mean? Like, you know, but I'm working out every day. I had got jumped in jail, like bad. Like I got beat down bad. It took all my shit. And I was like, Yo, that's never happened again because I was never a punk. I just got caught off guard. These dudes rushed me in my room. I got out, went to the COs, went to medical. I got all banged up. And then I made a pact to myself that it was never going to happen again. So then I got put back in a population and some white dude tried to test me. And we scrapped it out. I didn't want to say if I, 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 I didn't lose. I'm going to say I won. We both got pretty lumped up. We both went to the hole together. And then I decided I'm going to start working out like a savage. And I started working out, working out. And then I got fucking humongous, bro. I got, you know, it was like putting weight on a bar. 
the more I ate, the more weight I put on, and I worked out was like working out with weights. So now people are like, you got big arms, you this, and I'm like, nah. And then some dude tested me, and I just laid this dude out, and then I realized I had power. Yeah. And it was all, it was a wrap from then. But then I became a collector for this dude truck. I used to go around and collect money for him, cigarettes, whatever. You know, I became a straight savage. And then I, when I came out, that mentality followed me. So when you're locked up, you can't think. You got to act. If you act, you're getting fucked up. So my whole thought process was act. So you know me from the 90s a little bit. Somebody say something stupid. That was it. I was just hitting you. I wasn't even... I could be talking to you face to face, laughing with you, and you say something that I thought was disrespectful. It was a wrap. And then I got my weight super up. I was 262 pounds, dreads, straight animal, and just walked like a lion everywhere I went. And if I felt disrespected, I brought it to anybody. You know what I'm saying? Like we were just on some respect shit constantly. But, you know. Well, that was, well, you guys were, were, infamous and there's so much there because a lot of the stuff you got to keep in mind i wasn't around for it was it was you know like i said when i got into the scene i only got to see you guys one time and i think it was at uh heightstown whatever that that little venue was in kind of hall that was in heightstown that was the only time oh I, yeah i remember that little spot that was the only time i i, I got got to see you guys and i want i want to get into some of that stuff um a little later but actually i just want question just based on what you said how are you able enough to eat enough protein in jail to actually put on the weight or is it but in, yeah like but do, it, when when you're locked up yeah do they give you enough like actual protein to be able to do that well yeah i mean they got to i mean you know you get you know you don't get the the greatest food but it's enough food to sustain muscle and build muscle plus you get your commissary so, like, you know, there's mad protein in a Snicker bar. You know what I mean? So I used to eat mad Snicker bars constantly. You know, you, you, know, you could buy all kinds of, like, the ramen noodles, uh, you know, at, at a commissary. But, yeah, you get mad food. You know what I mean? Like, and you eat three times a day. So, so it's crazy. So I came out 220. Everybody that goes into the system gets healthy. Drug addicts, you know, skinny guy off the street like myself, because you're eating every, you're eating three meals a day. You know what I'm saying? So you're getting your weight up, and everybody around you is healthy. When I got out and went back to my old people, yo, and how frail, like I was taken back. I was like, wow. You know, they're all doing drugs, drinking, you know what I mean? Partying, and they're like thin, like pinky thin. I'm like, wow. And everybody's like, they, they were calling me thick man because I was, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was 220 and just jacked. And then I, I was like, just taken back on it. Like, wow. And, and that's when I made like a, another pact to myself that I would never be that stick man again. But I did get down to about 185. And I was kind of ripped. I used to have abs. If you look at like some old videos and for, uh, before Fury of Five, and I think around Fury of Five, I was still around 185. But then, you know, we formed and then um, we just started working out like animals, the whole band, even Chris. You know what I mean? He was working out. Mike Terry, most of us still work out. 
I mean, Jay Fury, we just reconnected a couple of years back and he's got a whole powerlifting thing in his house now because of COVID. We all, we all got gyms in our house. I don't train to that caliber anymore. I just train for riding and do mostly uh, calisthenics, you know, pull-ups, push-ups, dips, and lightweights, and a lot of core and balance stuff. Because the most important thing to me besides work is riding. So, like, I try to keep my weight down so I can flow. I was just about to go ride. I was going to do this from in the woods. Mount, just the people listening, um, you do mountain biking, right? Yeah, yeah. I do in, uh, I do uh, downhill, but, like, my thing right now is enduro mountain biking. I just did, like, my first race in Tennessee, and I crashed out. And, man, it was a hardcore, dude. Like, I, I fell out of my league. It was a straight pro race that I was ill-prepared for. And I fared okay. I mean, I crashed out my first days of my race. I had two days to practice and then a race. And uh, I clipped a tree coming off a drop. I got jacked up. I think I had broke my hand. I never went to the doctor, but it, it's still kind of messed up. Um, but I was two minutes faster than the day before. So I was improving every day, but it was so steep. It was 2,000 feet of elevation. Wow. Like, yo, dude. I can't even describe to you. I was locked on my brakes and it felt like I was doing 20 miles an hour down some of this stuff, like a fully locked back brake. Like it was crazy. That's crazy. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I, but I love it. You know what I mean? And, and it taught me a lot and I, uh, I'm refocused. I'm going to race some more this year, but I'm more focused for next year, you know, who, but you know, I'm 53. So, <laughs> you know, to be racing at 53, I think it's great. You know, but all my friends are about it. Like, damn, you're crazy. I'm like, ah, maybe, <laughs> you know, as as you, you, do, man, you, you know, I think it's a, it's definitely a positive uh, way to put your energy in, 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 into something for sure. Well, like to, for me, I, I'm telling you mountain biking, like I would suggest it to, I try to suggest it. To, I, I actually have a lot of people even at my work riding now, but I would suggest it to anybody that struggles mentally because it absolutely captivates your whole thought process. You know what I mean? Like, like I was saying before, I have mad voices in my head. I got things speaking to me constantly, trying to break me down, destroy my life, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? But when I ride, it absolutely 100% clears my head because I'm only focused on what's in front of me. You know, I'm going up that hill going down a hill, going over a rock, through a rock garden, off this drop, hitting this big jump. You know what I mean? So, like, and you're moving. I'm going fast. So, like, there's no no life in, in, in your head. Like, you can't ride your bike and say, oh, man, my wife cheated on me. You know what I mean? Or, like, oh, I'm broke. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, your whole – and then you have clarity. And that's what I get. And the more clarity I get, I get more closure in my life. And, and, and I see different things, you know, I'm about to like sell this house and buy a new house. And, you know, like I'm just growing more, you know what I'm saying? And learning more about myself as I let things go through riding, dude, it's really therapeutic for me. You know, it works for me, you know, like jujitsu works for some people, yoga, you know, but I, they say mountain biking is better than yoga because you absolutely exhaust your body and your mind. Like the other day I rode with my friend from work and I passed my exit. I was so zoned out that we went so hard and I look and I'm like, is that the train station? And I, 
I'm like, damn, I passed my exit. That's how mentally clear I was. And I was just in a high, so to speak. You know what I mean? And it just kept it moving. I was like, I called my wife and I'm like, Jen, I just passed the exit. She goes, ah, oh, you must have had a good ride. And she just starts laughing. But it's definitely, uh, it's good if you're a head case. Mountain biking's good if you're a head case and you have an extreme side. And like, I like to jump shit and like, I always get hurt. <laughs> I get I get jacked up constantly, man. <laughs> but luckily, I don't really like um, break too many things. But I, I I get pretty jacked up, man. You know, like I said, I, I I definitely think I broke my hand, but I never went to the doctor. I just made a gen bump something. And I just just kind of not used it for a couple weeks, and then I went right back to riding. But it still kind of doesn't want to. It doesn't really want to act with my hand. Like it's kind of yeah, it is what it is, right? Um, no, I think that's that's fantastic, man. I think it re- really is. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about Fury of Five. Uh, how did the band get started? Because you said you were doing some other bands before that, but Fury yes. seemed very polished, for, especially within uh, like you guys seem to really have your shit together, uh, at least from the first like full length album. So how did how did you guys get together, and, and did you have the concept of what the band was? mapped up out well i always had i always had a vision you know what i mean so you're an artist and you know most artists you know we're visionaries you know what i mean so you have things that you want to reach or establish and mine started as a child well you know like a teenager you know like listening to the doors and judas priest iron maiden you know what i mean i always had a brush in my hand but i wanted to be a singer you know what i mean like that was my thing and, uh, you know, I started Locked Up Life in 1988. And then, um, like I said, I got I caught a bid and I got out and I restarted the band. And it went through some member changes and we put out some hard stuff, you know what I mean? And, you know, with double bass and it was like, you know, metal, metal crossover type stuff, you know, had, you know, had that, that, that to it. And then that's when I met Mike Terry. Like Terry had joined Locked Up a Life in the later years of it. And then uh, we broke up because the drummer had some issues. And then I started Position of Power. That broke up. And then Mike had called me and said, yo, I got these dudes. You want to come and check us out? We're at Mid-State Studios in Tom's River. So I went there and they had some... They had some good shit. And I was like, I said, all right. I said, yeah, I'll do it. I said, let me record this song. So we got a we got a, a tape recorder and I recorded the one song they had. And that's when it all started. I came up with the name Fury of Five and we wrote our first song called I Owe You Nothing. And that was like our theme on the back of the shirt. I owe you nothing, motherfucker. You know what I mean? And we just started from there. And then uh, we lost the drummer. His name was Mark Goldman. And he was a dope drummer. And then uh, I went and saw Chris. He was in a band called Colorblind, Chris Rage. And I took him. I said, let me, let me talk to you. And I took him to the side. We walked down the boardwalk. And I was telling him, I said, yo, you should join our band. We're going to be something. You know what I mean? You got the skills. You got the doubles bass. And uh, I guess he came and tried out and he became the drummer and then we got johnny anger because he was in locked up and like 
two, I believe. Yes, I think he was in the later end. I think my friend Mike Fazone brought Johnny Anger in, and then uh, he came into the band, and then we started writing because he was real death metal style riffs. And if you listen to the first No Reason to Smile record, it's real death metal-y because of him. You know what I mean? And then he got kicked out on, on some bullshit. But, you know, that I apologize to him years ago. You know, I apologize to a lot of people for things that I've done to certain people that I felt that deserved the apology for myself. And he was one of them. And uh, he left the band and we got Chico. And then Chico joined the band as we were finishing or working on At War With The World. And Chico helped finish the song Last Place, he wrote the ending to Last Place, the stop and go part. And then we changed direction because if you listen to the first No Reason to Smile, I was trying to be like, I don't know if I was trying to be like super intelligent, but I there's no curse words on the album at all. And I was trying to deliver a hard message in a way, in a respectful manner. And it wasn't, it went unnoticed. And when we dropped out War with the World, I went back to cursing. And then in the first song, you know, I dropped the motherfucker and come and get it. And then I just started dropping F-bombs all the time. You know, it, it went unnoticed. And, and then we, I had a plan for five records. And we had a fourth record ring, uh, written called King of the Mountain, which is kind of, actually, we were mountain biking then. That's where it came from. We were, I've been mountain biking since like, 94 95 and jay used to ride and and uh i had all kinds of, i had gene from second to none ride and i even think i had uh a couple other people riding that used to hang out with us but i've been riding for a long time but we had our album called written totally written king of the king of the mountain you know, and that was a song in it and we had 10 songs written for a fourth record but we broke up but I, my whole vision was to make five records for fury of five and then call it quits. And um, obviously that never happened. It ended up with uh, this time is personal, but uh, we just got more simple, kind of like what everybody, I think like if we would have stayed together, we would have been hate breedish level. You know what I'm saying? Like I, that's where we were going. Like we were simplifying, but getting more like melodic and metally. And, uh, but it never happened. But, I know there's some of them recordings around. I know Jay Fury's got like probably like mad stuff that if he went through, he could find some of that stuff. And it was amazing. I think it would have probably been like some of the dopest stuff that we ever put out because like this time of personal was kind of like we were trying to, you know, I don't want to say go commercial, but we were trying to simplify the beats you know what I mean? Because I understood that radio music is click track. So we were trying to get more on that level of writing. You know what I'm saying? And we that's where we were at on the next level. But Chris was having a problem with it because he wasn't that rhythmatic. That he didn't have the rhythm that we were looking for at that time. And that's why I always had a problem with him. And like I was writing a lot of beats towards the end and uh, I was taking a lot of frustrations out on him. But I, 
that was going to come out a book that never came out, but I could spew it here because uh, my dad was a drummer and he was very abusive to us. So this is part of the anger thing that we were talking about before. Subliminally, I would, I always have problems with my drummers in every band because of my dad, because he was a drummer, you understand? And he was, that's the only thing I remembered from him. So subconsciously, I was taking out my anger on these guys. And Chris really caught the brunt of it because at that time I was my angriest and I was just very, very disrespectful to the dude. And I understand why he won't, like I, we tried to reach out to him to do the Fury of Fire reunion and he don't want to do it. I wish that like I could sit down and just speak to him because I want to let him know that I'm not that guy no more. And I would definitely apologize to him. You know, I apologize to all these guys in the band, you know, pretty much, you know, you know, I was an asshole. Yeah. Bottom line. You know what I mean? And I, you know, I can admit it, you know, I, you know, I, I see who I was now when I was so blinded by rage and anger, I didn't see that. But now that I have a, a different perspective in life and I'm in a different direction, going a different direction, I'm at a different level, you know, even financially in my life, you know, like I look back and I'm like, wow, you were a fucking jerk off. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, to a lot of people, you know, but that's what I said. I've been apologizing to a lot of people. I've, I, I, you know, you know, I made up with a lot of people and, you know, listen, do I have any regrets? No. You know what I mean? You know, things are supposed to happen. That's that's the path. You know what I mean? You have to walk a certain way to get to where you got to go. You know what I mean? If that's what I had to do to get here, it is what it is. I apologize for it, but I don't regret it. You know what I mean? It made me who I am. You know what I mean? It's that I'm not going to stop being me. I'm going to be a better me. I'm going to try to be better than I was yesterday. You know what I mean? But, you know, like I said, I would apologize to the dude, but he he don't want to hear it. So, you know, so we might have uh, Riggs. Remember Riggs? He played for Madball for a little yeah. while. He, was in, uh, he, he, play, he played for Hatebreed too at some point? Yeah, yeah, he played for Hatebreed. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he he said he's down to do do the the show. So, you know, so hopefully, wonder, you know. I want to talk a little bit about, about the music because, you know, I went back and listened to all the records before this and it was – Definitely a trip down memory lane, man. I, f- I forgot how many just great songs and just like I almost because you there's this perception of Fear of Five as a hardcore band, but listening back to the music, it feels more like metal than it does like hardcore. Uh, when you listen to, like you said, the the type of drumming, lots of fast double bass, uh, the ri- the riffing is more to me sometimes in line with a machine head or a sepultura than it is common hardcore band. And then you have the guitar solos, you have some technical guitar playing and kind of there's intricate stuff. You can tell you guys really worked on the arrangements and there's also a musicality to everything where it's like, it feels kind of elevated in my opinion, comparatively to a lot, to a lot more of the more simplistic, type of hardcore bands so it's right so it's, it's actually interesting when you tell me that you were like you know you came up on judas priest and bands like that or you were into all these death metal bands because it, it seemed to especially talking to jay 
talking to Chico, like they were metal dudes, like what in terms of what they liked musically, you know, yeah. that, that's the stuff we we vibed on. So it, it seemed like from the get go, you guys were looking to like not be held down by a Harker scene. Like you guys wanted to like cross over. Well, me, I always had a problem with hardcore people. In what way? I'm not going to say that, like, I'm not going to say the scene, like, I just think a lot of hardcore, people that say they're hardcore, and I'm not talking about your mad balls and and, and, and dudes like that, because I know they're about that life. I'm talking about, like, bands that just pop up and disappear. Like, it's just fake. Like, they, they don't, they're, they're, they're not about what they're saying. You know what I mean? Like, everything that I put into a fucking song, I absolutely meant that shit. You know, and I delivered it that way. And I would still try to deliver it that way for the people, even though I might not feel that way anymore. You know what I mean? But I know that beast is still there and he can come out if he wants to. You know what I mean? Like the beast never goes away. That beast, that's that's deep rooted in, in my soul. You know what I mean? But like, I always, I never liked hardcore people to a degree. I, I always liked metal heads because they were always just about the music. They loved the music and they were into the music. It wasn't like a fashion show for them or to show up and try to be hard. You know, they're up in the stage, in front of the stage, banging their heads and they're trying to do the metal mosh or whatever they're doing. And I always, that's where I come from. I was always about the music. I loved the music, you know, but hardcore music, I never really... Like, I don't really listen to much hardcore music, bro. You know what I mean? Even when I was doing music, you know, like people give me their demo. I'm like, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care what you have to say because I can I can vibe right off you and know you're not that dude. You know what I mean? Like, but I fuck with the real dudes. You know, that's why I'm you see me going off where Madball two weeks ago. I'm 53 years old because I know they live that. You know what I mean? They, they come from that. They come from the low part of life and they grind and they and they're still grinding and they're grinding every day and they're bringing that real constantly you know what i mean where where's these other bands you know where where are these other dudes you know and then they're going to try to shit on these dudes that are still doing it and you're too old now now, now why are you putting the age on something you know who, who say you have to grow up you know what i mean yeah you could be responsible and still have kid-like traits you know what i mean like riding a bike to me is like a kid you know what i'm saying like you put a 16-year-old kid on a bike and me on a bike, we're looking at the trail the same way. So we have the same mentality. You know what I mean? But people don't think like that. They say, oh, you got to get old. You got to do this. You know, I don't get it. But I, I never been a big hardcore music fan. In the 80s, I was, but not not when, not when in the 90s. You know, metal, I always love metal, dude. Like, I, I Sepultura comes on, dude. And it's like it's brand new to me. Fear Factory comes on. Like I was just listening to Martyr on the way uh, earlier, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> suffer I love that shit, bro. Love it. It's like brand new to me. Every time I hear it, I'm like, this is fucking awesome. It resonates with me. You know what I mean? Hardcore don't resonate with me be that much because I don't think they're real. But I don't know these bands, and I just like their music. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. That resonates to me because I don't know them personally. But when you come at me with hardcore and you're supposed to be real and I see that you're not, I can't fuck with you. You know what I mean? So, like, that's why I'm a metal, like, more metal. 
guy because, like, I don't really personally know Max Cavallaro, uh, Cavallaro, but his music speaks volumes to me. You know what I mean? Because I know he comes from a third world country and it's crazy and he about it. You know what I mean? But this hardcore kid he, who grew up in, in a rich neighborhood speaking how hard his life is, I'm like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I can't relate to that. You know what I mean? And that's the... That's what I don't like about hardcore. But for me, hardcore was just about the anger and spewing venom on the fucking world. And that's what I did. You know what I mean? I had a lot of venom. <laughs> so uh, when uh, when you guys came out, uh, I guess you were probably a year or two or almost concurrent with Biohazard. Did you ever run? Was that like an issue for the band where people would kind of compare you? The biohazard to say, hey, you guys are just doing what they're doing. Was that something that you felt was a bar- a barrier when you guys kind of well, hit the ground? It's funny. It's funny that you 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 bring it up because Evan just posted a picture of us at uh, convention hall. It's me, Freddie Madboy, Ball Hoya, uh, Craig from Sick of It All, um, myself, Evan, and. Uh, he was calling us legends and I was telling him, I was like, yo, you guys, hands down, are my favorite band of all time and respect to you, my man. I could show you it, like the message. I just said that to him the other day. Biohazard is absolutely my favorite band of all time. And I got to know those guys, you know, prior Fury of Five. You know what I mean? Because they, they, they were, you know, at the fast lane and they were friends with my friend Bapo. And he toured with them, so I got to know them. And then when Fury of Five came, we got to play a lot of shows with them, and we became, like, good friends. And uh, they're one of the bands that, like, game changers. You know what I'm saying? Stage presence. Like, I always had a stage presence before, you know, Biohazard really got super big. You know, I was always influenced by, like, New York um, frontmen. You know, there was not very many good frontmen from New Jersey or any other hardcore genre out there, Boston or none of those other states. But New York frontmen always delivered with like a nice attitude. And I always wanted to be not a New York hardcore frontman, but I always wanted to bring that realness, that, that heart and let people like see that I'm about this. And I tell this to people all the time, like, like even like, reaching out or like new bands that, that are just starting. I'm like, listen, if you're you're a front man, people are paying to see you. You have to put on a show. Do not turn your back on the crowd ever. They're looking to be entertained. That's why they paid money. You know what I'm saying? So if your heart is not in the song, they're going to know from the jump and you'll never see that dude again. And I just told that to my son because he wants to be a rapper and he's looking for his voice and we're going in the studio on, on uh, May, May 23rd, he's going to record some tracks. And I told him, listen, if your heart is not in it, the people are not going to feel it. You know what I mean? So he was like, oh, I don't know how to do my voice. I said, just be yourself. You know what I mean? I never got on stage and tried to be somebody else. I was always me. And I delivered my way. But, you know, Biohazard was an influence like no other, you know, Sepultura, Machine Head, like all those bands you just messing Message uh, mentioned uh, Fear Factory. I love Fear Factory, dude. Like, I just saw it. We just, well, it wasn't Fear Factory, but it was Jamie Josta 
doing with Dino doing Fear Factory songs. And I was on that stage and I had a bad knee. I had just had a mountain bike crash and my, my knee was blown out. And I was dancing around that stage like I wrote the song. <laughs> like I was, I think I was more into it than anybody there. I was like, you know, they play Body Hammer. I was like, oh my God, Replica. I was like, this song's, you know, just, I love those songs, dude. Like anytime, I, I can't even skip it. Body Hammer comes on and I just start rocking. That rhythm in the beginning, I'm like, oh my God, dude. You know, but that Biohazard was a big influence on us for sure. You know, plus they were our friends and we played a lot of shows with them. Like, I, that's why we did a Biohazard cover, you know, like Hold My Own. You know, we, we did a Fury Five style, but, you know, we pay, we pay homage to a lot of the bands. You know, even Corn, you know, like people were hating on Corn in the, in, in the 90s. And I was like, these dudes are pretty dope. I mean, like, they're fucking heavy as fuck. I don't know. What you, and so, you know, even though, you know, we seemed like we were clowning them, but, yo, we were playing it like they were playing it. You know what I mean? Like, the only band that we clowned was Nirvana, and now I kind of, like, I, I don't regret it, but, like, I was like, man, I think that dude was murdered. I don't think he really killed himself, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, I think he was taken out. But that's just, you know, after, you know, years of, like, thinking about it and stuff, but, you know, you know, but, you know, Deadhead was about Nirvana, you know what I mean? Like, you know, people killing themselves, which I'm totally opposed, and I think it's stupid and selfish, but, you know, at first when he did it, I was like, fuck this dude, and then, then I learned the story, and, like, like, he loved guns, and he had the world at the in the palm of his hand, just like I don't think, like, uh, Chris Cornell and the other dude killed yeah. themselves. I, I think they were murdered. You know what I mean? They were they had organiz organizations against pedophilia, and we know how those people are. And uh, yeah, I think they were murdered, dude. How how did these two dudes just hung themselves? They had the world by the by the they had families, mad kids. I don't know. It make no sense to me, man. You know, but that's just me being a conspiracy theory. You know what I mean? I don't I don't know anything anything about that. Um, so one of the things about Fear of Five, especially again going back and listening to the to, to this music, it just brought up all these memories that you guys had this reputation of being one of the the more well rehearsed bands in 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 the scene. That and it was something that was reflected in the live show is just how tight the band was. Even when you listen to the recordings, people forget this is you know twenty. 20 something years ago, 20, 25 years ago, where you're recording the tape, there's no click. So the band, no. you had to be tight to sound tight in the studio, right? It wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just studio trickery, right? And so what was the approach you guys took to your rehearsal schedule to get the band so professional? Like that was the thing is you guys just seemed like you were thinking on a more professional level than a lot of the other bands. Well, you always want to be the best you can be. So practice makes perfect. You know what I mean? So like we were very regimented in practice. We practiced twice a week, sometimes three, if we weren't playing on a weekend, you know what I mean? Like we would, we would book a practice on a Sunday if we had no shows. But when we went to practice, we would, um, we would do the set. Like we were playing in front of a thousand people. You know what I mean? You know, that was not always the case, but we approached our practices that way. 
like, you know, we were in a room in a mirror. I would be singing like there was a fucking thousand people out there. You know what I mean? And that's why we always delivered, even if there was 10 people there. I mean, we played in the show in New Hampshire in a, in a blizzard. We barely even made it there. There was probably max 14 people there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Max. Yeah. I mean, that might, be even, that might even be pushing it. And we put on a show like we were playing in a fucking stadium. And then one dude, Sean uh, Hutchins, I think his name is, he talks about it all the time, man. You guys were amazing. But, you know, that's the way we practice. So we always delivered that way. Didn't matter. We came out and we tried to sell you a product. You know what I mean? That's what anybody tries to do. If you're on a stage, you know, you've been there. You know what I'm saying? You're trying to sell your music. That's why I never even understood what, like, oh, they're selling out. What? You're on stage trying to sell a product. You know what I mean? So, like, how are you selling out? You're selling your art, you know? But, yeah, we used to practice, like, 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 all the time. And then me and Jay would, like, practice and write songs every day. We didn't work. You know what I mean? Like, we would sit at his house, put on Rap City, and, you know, try to write riffs to beats over there or I have a rhythm. I say, yo, I want to try to sing it like this. And I'll do like a hip hop beat on my chest or like bang on a table. And he'd write on acoustic constantly. Oh, he had the acoustic in his hand playing. And then we would go to practice, hear it all electrified and be like, yo, that shit is dope. You know what I mean? And just write. Yo, we scrapped so many songs. Yo, we would write for days. Never run out of material, man. Even now. Like, I never run out of things to say, dude. You know what I mean? Like, I can write lyrics, even anger, angry, angry lyrics. Like, even though I'm not angry, it's just so natural for me just to write. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. I, it, music, is, I love it. You know, and I, it just feels cool to even be talking to you about it. You know what I mean? It's, it's good shit, man. But, uh, yeah, practice, practice makes it perfect. Every band. I don't know about now. Things are so easy now, dude. Like you could just, you know, on the computer. You yeah. know what I mean? You do a lot. You know, I, <laughs> There's a lot of people. Yeah, I, I, careers now. I, I don't know. I, I don't do. I don't know nothing about that. You know what I mean? So like, you know, but like, I know like people like, like take like code orange. They got crazy shit going on on their stage and buttons and things and triggers. And I'm like, wow, this is it. it the game has changed. It's definitely elevated for sure, you know, but I think it's lost like realness. You know what I mean? Like everybody's just trying to make a hit and get a million views. You know, I don't know. I keep it more, more in the street, <laughs> you know, I gotta, I gotta tell this story uh, because it's literally something I say all the time to this day. And it's something you, you told me we were hanging out at one of these shows, probably one of the first times we met and E-Town had just released, uh, released their second LP and it had like a singing part on it, you know, and you made this joke <laughs> that uh, Anthony, like, man, this dude's up there singing. He's hiding by the drum riser. <laughs> he's like, man, he's like, I sing. It's like, I suck, but I suck right in your face. Like, <laughs> now it's a, that's just a funny phrase to begin with, but it actually to me has some wisdom to it, which is like, it's like 
the idea of like, yo, if you're going to do something, then own it. Right. Like Exactly. 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 You know, I wasn't a very great singer, you know, but I, I wanted to try it. You know what I mean? It's funny. The other day, the, the first song that I tried it in Fury of Five was Sinner's Touch, which is on the demo years or whatever that, that record's called, like the EP with like a lot of demo stuff. And that was the first song I tried singing on. And um, I said, yeah, you know, that's, that was the, the, um, the Fear Factory influence. You know, when I heard the suffer bastard, I'm like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to incorporate that into Fury of Five. You know what I mean? And, you know, I progressed. You know what I mean? I, I, I wasn't a great singer, but it, it wasn't terrible. Like you said, I sucked at it, but I sucked in your face. You know what I mean? I still try to, you know, sell it to you. You know what I mean? It's, they still bought it. You know what I mean? Because I did it in your face. I didn't hide. I didn't. You know what I mean? I knew I wasn't a great singer. Was I off key sometimes? Absolutely. But I still presented it with heart and emotion and feeling, and that's what sold it. And that's why people liked Fury of Five. You know, Fury of Five fans were different than everybody else's fan. They were, I'm telling you, there was dudes in that crowd more angrier than I was singing my shit. And I'm like, yo, you should be the singer of this band because you look really pissed off right now. You know what I mean? I used to see some of these dudes' faces. They look like straight killers out there. You know, singing every man for himself or those who want some, come and get it. Pissed off. I'm like, yeah, all right. We're getting somewhere now, you know, but I knew, I knew when uh, things had changed, we, we put out no reason to smile, you know, and we were doing okay with the demos and we, you know, we had the local following in Asbury, you know, people would come out and, 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 and represent, but when we went on tour with integrity and we came back and that, that tour was fucking, Oh God, dude, I never wanted to tour again after that. But, uh, this the European tour? We, yeah, it was European tour with uh uh Deviate, Integrity, and uh and uh Fury of Five. And um we came back and we did a record release and it was fucking packed. And I'm like, oh shit, these people are here to see us. Like, you know what I mean? Like I was like taken back a little bit, and then I remember we played one it all, and the whole club was bouncing and i'm like oh shit we arrived you know what i mean like and and then and from that point on it just kept on you know but you know we self-destructed internally because of my antics you know i take full responsibility of the of the breakup of the band because i was you know what i mean let's, i was fucking alone let's talk about a little about, about that a little bit because kind of when i got in the scene and god was doing shows you guys were putting out um, albums, and I think that was right around the time at War with the World came out. And that record was, it was kind of a co-release between Kingfisher, which was under Century Media in Europe, yeah. and Victory in the States. So you had good record labels behind you. Uh, and I think that record, to me, at War with the World is probably the record that top to bottom just feels like the most complete and kind of album that just contains a lot of the best things that the band did. It sounds really great, really well produced. Um, so it seemed like the band was poised to really take off. But from what I remember around that time, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember you guys doing a lot of local shows or touring. Um, what was going on around that time that 
where the band probably should have been doing tons of touring and getting out there and, and pushing the record that, you know, maybe there was a there wasn't the amount of activity that there probably should have been. On June 14th, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Ugh. Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello! I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14th. Get tickets now. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and I'll see you there. I think that I think that record came out 97. I'm a, I think it came out in 97. We broke up in 98. Okay. So we we uh we did a tour. We did the tour with propane. We also did a little tour with SOD. NVOD and Nerds Crisis, I think. I'm not sure. I know it was VOD and SOD, and uh, but you know we we were having a lot of lot of turmoil with me because I was crazy. You know what I mean? So like a lot of fighting when we were in uh, Europe. You know, beating up bands, um, bouncers, just. I was so like angry, you know what I mean? My violence was going to another level, you know what I'm saying? Like it was just the monster was growing, you know what I mean? Like it was insane. And uh, I just couldn't control it. And, and like I said, I was taking a lot of, a lot of anger out on Chris because he was, what happened was he got into like um, body jewelry and piercing and all that. And that, that was kind of taking away from the band and it bothered me. You know what I mean? Because my focus was to get to, to, to my goals. You know what I'm saying? And he was, he was holding it up. You know what I mean? He was impeding. He was impeding what I wanted to do with my dream. You know what I mean? And, and then I, I mean, dude, I was pretty bad to that dude, man. Like I would punch him, beat him. Hoya stopped me from beating him up one time in, uh, in Albany, you know what I mean? I broke his nose at practice. 
Like he would just walk through the door, pushing his his symbols uh, in his case and his drums, and I would just punch him in his face without warning, just from the way he looked, because it bothered me. And he was so stubborn, he would stay and try to make me more angry. It was crazy, bro. Like that's why, I like, uh, like, I, like I said, I would like to sit down and talk with him and, and try to make amends with him. But you know, listen, I understand why he don't like me. I wouldn't like me either if I if somebody did, you know, did that to to me. You know what I mean? So it is what it is. But I, I, I would like to sit down and really talk to him to to make a real Fury of Five reunion happen. You know what I'm saying? Like. All of us, even with Johnny Anger, I would want to bring Johnny Anger. And I would like to bring the new guys that helped me do it in 2014. And even yourself, you did it with us in 2010. You know what I mean? You put in the work, you know what I mean? To make, you know, I, I don't know about the debacle, what happened after that. But, you know, you what know, are, you did a great job in 2010. Are, it was awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it was fun, man. It was, it was, that was a lot of, it was a lot of fun play, playing those songs. It's a little like lesser known kind of a tidbit people probably don't 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 know about it it was just that just that one show but um but no but listen i think you bring up a lot there because i think i think what i'm hearing is it's kind of like the cycle of abuse right like you were abused and then then you're also thrust into these environments right like prison which are kind of kill or be killed right and that puts you in a, and when you kind of internalize all that pain from abuse, and then you, then you put that, that pain goes outward, right? It's the pain you feel goes, you know, um, which is uh, obviously like that's, you know, an abusive environment is, is no one wants to be around that, you know, but I, I think at right. least you found some kind of, uh, you know, ways to kind of understand like how you, well, yeah, well, 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 what I learned, what I learned after the band broke up was I didn't have that outlet anymore. I didn't have a way to vent. So all the stuff that I was letting out now was getting internalized. And now I found depression. And that was worse. You know what I mean? So depression what 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 the violence was was me trying not to be depressed you know what i mean that's how i got it out with anger you know what i mean and then once i couldn't get dispersed the anger and internalized and then it brought me down and then i took a really 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 bad downward spiral alcohol cigarettes drugs you know what i mean and then i hit a freaking low and then i found god then I was a born again Christian for a little while. Then I had a Christian band. I was gonna be a, I was gonna be a a, a, a preacher. I could have been. You know what I mean? People love the way I, 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 I put down the word for, for for the Lord. You know what I mean? You know. But uh, then I got out of that <laughs> because I'm fucking nuts. <laughs> I still hail Satan to the fullest, bro. Good Lord. Good <laughs> all. So but what about what about, uh, what about the other guys? Because you know, um, you know, when I think about the band, and you think about because it's built into the name, right? Fury of Five, right? But you think of, I think about this kind of classic lineup of these five individuals. Um, 
and you say, you know, those these things that you were uh, doing to Chris, but how how did that manifest with the other members? Were you violent with them or they just kind of got sick of all the, the stuff surrounding them? I, I don't I to be honest, I I, I really sometimes I, I, I lashed out at Jay, but not not in that way. But Jay was my homie and he kind of he kind of understood me. We were like Batman and Robin, so to speak. You know what I mean? You couldn't find one of us without the other. You know what I mean? And Chico and Mike, they always did their own thing. So they didn't really they I don't know how they felt about that. I mean, I'm sure they didn't like it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I never really touched them like that. I never beat them or, you know, put my hands on them like that. You know, only only Chris. But like I said, that issue came from my dad being a drummer. When I look back in retrospect, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, wow, I was taking my anger from my father and – distributing it to, 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 to these drummers. You know what I mean? It started with my, my drummer, Frank, and, and Locked Up In Life, uh, my drummer, Kando, and Position Of Power. You know what I mean? I would, like, belittle them and, and just try to just, man, just be malicious and manipulating, and it, it was what it was, man. You know what I mean? You know, was it wrong? Yeah, and I look back at that now, yeah, obviously. You know, no, nobody should ever be treated like that. You know what I mean? I try to, you know, learn and 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 become a better person, you know. And and you could tell just by the way I'm speaking now. I wasn't speaking like this years ago. You know what I mean? I was straight, straight, street with it. Thought I was a, a hood rat or whatever. You know what I mean? Bubble jackets, you know, wearing <laughs> D, DKNY. You know what I mean? We didn't dress like any of the other hardcore dudes. You know what I mean? We were full camo everywhere we go, blacked out, you know. But now, you know, different time, different place. People change, you know. I'm like, I've changed. I'm still the same. You know what I mean? I just don't have those terrible traits that I once had. You know, they, they come, they appear here and there. And I got them pretty under wraps. You know, sometimes, you know, Ismin shows up and, he even scares me. I'm like, fuck, dude, you want to try to go back to prison? What's fucking wrong with you? You know what I mean? I talk to myself all the time like a fucking loon, you know, because if I don't hear it, I might act on it, you know? It's what, crazy. Was there, like, a distinct – what was the distinct moment or who was, like, that actually made the band break up? Was there, like, an event or did one person kind of spur the decision? Well, uh, we were having problems with Chris. You know what I mean? Like, we couldn't get Chris to drum the way we wanted him to. And I maybe he was doing it purposely. I don't know. Chris was a pretty good drummer, man. He was a hard hitter. I don't think I, I know anybody that ever hits the drums, except for maybe Luke from Wisdom and Chains, that really beats the drums like, like he's beating a person's face. You know what I mean? Like, Chris was the hardest-hitting drummer i ever seen in my life. You know what I mean? Like, he was... He was pretty brutal with, with, with his with his the way he, he brought it, the delivery, you know what I mean? But uh, you know we at the end, you know, my hands were getting more frequently, <laughs> you know, hitting his face and he wasn't feeling it. And then we kind of I think we tried out the drummer from the love of 
your love of no it's scott scott winchell so i was told so i'm really good friends with scott like i played in a band with them for the love right. of like one of the biggest influences and kind of bands that was close with us so he would always tell me the stories about rehearsing with you guys he was like he's like yo man these dudes are getting up at 6 a.m and playing tennis and and mountain biking before and rehearsing at like nine in the morning and he and he this is the best the best part about it though he goes he goes yeah he's like stick man looks at me he's like a hey, a hey, scott man don't be afraid to go to the gym more than once a week you know what i'm saying don't don't make us put you in a hoodie at the gig <laughs> I might have said some shit like that. I don't remember. But, you know, we, we, we tried him out. And, and uh, I mean, he's a phenomenal drummer. No no, no question. But, like, for, for for Fury, it wasn't the same without Chris. And, and even though he might have had the songs down, but, like, you're so used to hearing them a certain way. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you're looking for flaws, not on purpose, but, like, you hear them because it's not the person that you really want there. So when he wasn't there, I wanted him there. But at times, you know, I didn't want Chris there because he wasn't doing what I needed him to do. So, you know, it was like he 22 in my head. You know, I'm fucking crazy, you know? And so when Scott didn't work out, that's when I said to Jay, because Jay was having some, you know, family issues. And I was like, you know, your dad's not doing well. I said, I think it's time for you to go and do the, your family. You know what I mean? Because if your dad passes and you're not on good terms, you're not going to be, you're not going to be happy about it. You know what I mean? So from that point, Jay took the step, got his, you know, got a job, got married. Then he became a VP in a big pharmaceutical company, making mad loot. You know what I mean? And everybody, we just dispersed, you know, and then I went into a downward spiral, but then Richie from, Crutch, who now is Wisdom and Chains, called me out of the blue one day. You know, and I was in the, the you know, I'm like depressed. I'm this is how depressed I am that like I'm at home, I, I'm crying like all the time, and I don't know who to turn to because you know the baby mama just left me. Now I don't have the band. Here I is the toughest guy in hardcore at the time. You know what I mean? the most feared front man to ever roam that, that era of the nineties. And now here I am a broken fucking man crying constantly. Like I would be at, like I had got a job. I would have to walk away because the tears would just start pouring down my face. I would have to go in a port of John and hide. And, and like, I was so depressed mm. and like, who do I cry to? You're the toughest motherfucker that ever did it. You beat up multiple people. People seeing you beat up bands, seeing you destroy four or five dudes at one time, and now you're broken. How do you face anybody? You know what I mean? So that's where I was at my, that time of my life. And then Richie Crutch had called me and uh, asked me to do some things, sing like on, on – on, he sent me these tracks, and he's like, oh, you want to try to do a band? And I was like, well, I have this idea for a rap metal band and it was going to be called Rusty Shankholder, but they didn't really like that name. So I went with Box Cutter, and I wrote the first EP totally. It was like four songs. Called, I called it Thug Rock. And I was trying to escape from the image of Fury of Five because I knew I could never 
at that time in my life, I, I thought in my head that I could never top that. You know what I mean? So like, I can't come out with another heavy band. You know what I mean? I'm like, how am I going to, you know what I mean? Like, how do, how do I, what do I do? You know what I mean? So I was like, let me go rap. You know, I know I could flow, you know, I threw some, you know, we did the want it all remix and, you know, I would throw little raps here and there. I took some punches that stuck mojo and, you know, uh, you know, and the, our label was not happy about that. <laughs> King Fisher because stuck mojo was on, on century media and they had, uh, you know, I don't know if you know the story, but there's hidden tracks on this time is personal, you know, and uh, there's the one track called Wiggers in the neighborhood, which was a, a punch at stuck mojo. Cause they had a song called suburban Rangers, uh, suburban ranger, which was about white dudes. I mean, yeah, white dudes trying to, I think, more or less be black. I think that was the concept of the song, if I recall. And and I was like, you know, that's who I was. You know what I mean? I was that dude. You know, what I, mean? I was that took it personal. white guy that thought he was black, you know? And I was like, this is a black dude in a rock band. So, like, what is your point? You know what I mean? Like you're doing what a, technically what a white person's supposed to be doing. So that's why we're wigger in the hood. And it just attacked, attacked them hard, you know, called them because they were into wrestling. I told I took the belts, the titles, the crowns, whatever. You know what I mean? Like that was like one, that was one of the lyrics in this. You know, I, I said from the state of peaches, bandwagon leeches, candy coated like a Reese's. Now watch me break you into pieces. Like this is, I came at those dudes hard and the label, you know, Century Media, uh, King Fisher said, oh, you can't put that on the record. I said, fuck you. That's going on the record. They said, well, it's not going to be titled. I said, I don't care. If it's hidden, it's going on the record. So that's why we did two hidden tracks, the Biohazard and uh, not that we were hiding that we did a Biohazard cover, but we just made it like bonus tracks. If you kept on listening, you got some extra songs. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you guys just you was, did, did a diss track, basically like hip hop. Yeah. It's called Wigger in the Hood. You never heard it? I don't think so. I don't think so. Listen, yeah. I'm a big Suck Mojo fan, so I don't <laughs> Well, yeah. But you know, but they, they but they had, you know, they had ties of seven dust and cold chamber. And you know, we had beef with those dudes. That's you know, story. they went so I want to go through that? I got so I have like a list of stories. So like I said, these are the urban, the urban legends that is that <laughs> five, right? So it's basically these being in the scene around that time, you would just hear these stories of Fury of Five whooped these people's asses. So I'm just gonna go through a couple of these and you can kind of you can go through. So probably the most infamous one is there was a fight uh, at uh the Stone Pony with Cold Chamber and Seven Dust. Now, was this a show? Were you was Fury Five opening up that show, or were you just attending that show? No, they were just. I was there, but I left because when I was in Fury Five, and many people didn't know this because of all my mental illnesses, I used to have really, really bad anxiety and panic attacks. But I didn't know what they were at that time in my life, and I I had to leave. Like I had to get a, I was bugging. I used to go to the hospital for all the time. I had to get oxygen. I had one time from Albany, 
I had to go. They took me to the hospital. I had a, I had a bad one and a rest stop. It was crazy. But I had left. But Jay Fury and Chico and, and the rest of, you know, you know, the squad that we used to roll with was there. And I forget the band. There was a band, the drummer. I forget the drummers. I forget the name of the band. I know it wasn't Strength in Numbers. That's Joey Numbers band. But there was another band that was kind of like on that level or was up and coming. This, this, it was a small drummer with black hair. He had a hot girlfriend. And I guess she was drunk and Des was talking to her or blah, blah, blah. And he got pissed about it. He, he, he went up to Des and said something. Des was shrugging him off like he was a piece of shit. And he came up to Jay and Chico and asked, you know, can you help me address this issue with this dude or whatever? So then a whole squad goes up to this dude and they go up to Desi and uh, they say, I don't know what they said to him, but he goes, you know who I am or something like that. You see these piercings in my face? And he says, like, that he's tough or something. And Jay Fury says something. And the next thing I know, they just 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 started destroying the dude. And then Seven Dust tried to help. They got beat up. Mad people got beat up. The whole club lit up. You know what I mean? And then uh, we went on tour. And Seven Dust was playing the Birch Hill. And they wouldn't come without a police escort. So the state, New Jersey state troopers hung out the whole time while they played the show, while we were in Europe. And then they went to like, I don't know if it was Metal Maniacs or Kerrang! And talked crap about us, Seven Dust, saying that we were a bunch of racists. Because, you know, back then, we all thought we were hood and we dropping the N-word like we those dudes. You know what I mean? So... And they heard that and they said that it was addressed to them, which, you know, wasn't the case because Chico's Filipino, Jay's Jewish. I thought I was black. So, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So they went and I have the article that says that, you know, this racist band, Fury of Five, blah, blah, blah. And then we cornered. I just asked Drew Stone, there's got to be footage of Jay and Desi's face at Dynamo Fest in 1988 punking the shit out the dude saying do i look like a fucking racist to you you see this Jew and jay take the shirt off you see this jewish star do i look like a fucking racist to you and like yo it was crazy and then i had desi's manager trying to talk to me about doing like an apology tour like oh maybe we, we could all tour together and i was like wait it ain't happening bro we ain't touring with you fucking jackasses. <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't even like you motherfuckers. Why would I tour with these dudes? They just said we were a bunch of racists. I said, fuck you and him. They said, you better, I told the dude, you better get out of my face before I get really mad. And then Drew was like, yeah, just, just walk away because you don't want a problem with this dude. <laughs> okay, yeah, and then okay, it here's, was crazy, dude. Here's the, so here's the other one. So um, br uh, guy Brian Bonilla used to work at Vintage Vinyl Records, record store. He also started Nine Vault Discs, which put out the first God Forbid records. Anyway, he tells this story of he was working in the store and you guys, or I don't know if you were there, or maybe it was a couple of the other guys, was at Vintage Vinyl and Overcast was playing on the, on the stereo. And apparently there was like a guy in there with like, I don't know, like a, a neo-Nazi tattoo or maybe like a screwdriver shirt. And, and, the, and like one of you guys were like, yo, you need to take that shirt off right now or something. 
and, and so he remembers basically taking this dude outside, getting his ass whooped, but it was to the soundtrack of Overcast. <laughs> it was like a movie. Were you there for this, or is this the is this? The yeah, other? no, that's the, this is this is a true 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 story. And it was three dudes actually, but that were with him. There was it, it was a white power dude. He had a black flight jacket on. He had the, all the markings of a white power dude. I think he did have a screwdriver shirt on. And he was with two other dudes. And it was uh, Alex, me, Jay Fury, uh, maybe a couple other dudes. And Alex went up to the dude, told him to take his shirt off. He's like, ah, I'm not taking my sh- or shirt off. And we said, oh, no? All right, let's go outside. And so all of us went outside. Him and his two dudes, right in front of you know, had the Chinese buffet like right there. We were eating food. The, the one of the dudes said something. Yo, I came out of nowhere and cracked this dude, and he made a sound that I never heard come out of a person's mouth. I, I can't even describe to you what the sound he made. I thought it killed the dude. Like, and then. We just beat these three dudes up right in front of the Chinese buffet. People are eating, looking at us like it was crazy. <laughs> it's a true story, man. True story. That's a that's a yeah. good. Now this third one, but I'm just going through a list. I I got a little list. <laughs> so the third <laughs> one is a story you told me when we we're hanging out. You were talking about you were on tour with Propane, and their sound guy. You looked over and you're like, it was feeding back and it was all screwed up. Yeah. And you had to go deal with the sound guy. Tell the people that story. <laughs> All right. So we're on tour with propane. In now in Europe, right? Yeah, in Europe. It's it's uh Pissing Razors, Fury of Five, GERD, and Propane. Somewhere in, in the, the second week of the tour, the two bands, GERD and Pissing Razors are pissed that our sound is always on point. But you know us, and you can attest that we were on point when it came to playing fucking music. And we didn't have all these pedals, blah, blah, blah. We were direct heads, ampegs, everything out. No, no fancy bullshit. You know, just wirelesses. And our sound was easy to mix. Yeah. So we, we would always have a good sound, almost to the level of the opening, I mean, the headlining act. You know what I mean? So these two bands told Gary from Propane that the sound guy is favoring our band. And the dude was like, yo, they just get a better sound to you. Like, I'm not doing anything different than any, for any of the bands. You know what I mean? So the, yo, they bumped heads with the sound guy. He left. So the next show... We're in a club, and this is the same club I had a, I beat up uh, the band Deviate, which I apologize to Lauren every time I see him. <laughs> I'm like, my bad, dude. Uh, you know, the same exact club. And Gary walks right – I'm sitting on a table. I, I remember, like, yesterday. He said, listen, uh, the drummer from Pissing Razors is going to be doing the sound. I said, well, he's not going to be doing our sound. He said, no. I said, no, he ain't doing my fucking sound. I'm going to use the house guy. He said, all right. So they do sound check. Sounds great. So the show starts. 
picks of Razor play, they sound they sounded good. I, you know, they were metal. They weren't my metal, but they, they weren't bad players. You know what I mean? And uh, so we go on. And yo, shit just went fucking bananas, right? And I look out. We're like into, you know, because we used to run songs back to back to back. You know what I mean? Because we wanted to get many songs off without being shut off. You know what I mean? So, like, we would run, you know, songs continuously. And we're, like, going into, like, another song. And I look out and I see the drummer from Pissing Razors behind the board. Yo, without hesitation, without hesitation, I jump off the stage. The ship parts like the Red Sea. I beeline straight to this dude and start throwing haymakers at him. Yo, we knock over the board. The um, the roadie from Propane told me later on. He said, "Dude, he thought he said I thought you were gonna hit me. I was gonna stab you." He told me straight up. He said I was gonna stab you. He said you were out of control. I said, "My bad, bro." <laughs> Yo, we we finished playing. Then I, you know, I had to apologize to all the bands again, just like I did on the first tour <laughs> to make them stay. <laughs> oh, it was always some kind of always some kind of antics with me but yeah i beat up the draw i broke my thumb beating him up but it is what it is well anyway but so when you told the story originally though like you didn't go into all these you just said this is my favorite phrase you said you crashed him (laughs) (laughs) i did i crashed yeah i cracked (laughs) yo i just just i know i just came right over the like almost like a leaping stage dive and just just hammered him and just started throwing haymakers. And I don't know if I knocked them out or not, but but it is what it is, man. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, okay, and there's so the so the last two are really and one of these I'm I'm pretty sure I already know, but um these are like more rumors with more like the industry. So is it true that you beat up John Finberg, the booking agent? I'm glad you brought that up because I heard his podcast. With that me, you did with him. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I can't remember what he said. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, listen, it's absolute lies. That sexual deviant. Uh, <laughs> uh, listen, he was. I don't know. I, I don't know why he wanted to to manage us. You know what I'm saying? So, um, but now, when we look back, it was probably to undermine because you know. We, we had a wave coming, you know what I mean? Like, we were growing, but nothing was slowing us down, even though we were professional when it came to the aspect of booking shows, showing up on time, sound check, whatever, you know what I mean? We were always respectful to the club owners, blah, blah, blah. So we already had good communications with a lot of clubs. He became our tour manager, and then we went on tour with Propane. When we came back, there was messages on the machine to book shows, blah, blah, blah. And then there was uh, Teddy Etoll from uh, QE2. Uh, I forget the name, the name of the dude from Rhode Island. Uh, and another club. I, I, it might have been the chance. Kipsy. Places that we played. That John Finberg was calling these dudes telling them not to book us because we were unprofessional, we're violent, 
we caused a lot of trouble. And the dudes were like, we already had them here numerous times. What are you talking about? So these guys that we already, you know, played for and got paid from and, you know, had fan base, you know what I mean? We could fill, you know, had a decent draw, you know what I mean? Told us that this guy is talking crap about us. And I was like, so why is this dude booking us? So we come back from tour. We find this out. I never thought that this dude would come to Asbury Park, to be honest with you, Doc. You know what I mean? You got to be – you got to be out of your mind. You know what I mean? There's got to be – there's got to be something wrong with you if you know that you just said that these guys are troublemakers, they're violent, they're unprofessional, and you're going to come to Asbury Park. We own Asbury Park. You understand? Oh, I know. So, so I'm talking to – I'm talking to Carl from Earth Crisis. They're doing the sound check, and we're bullshitting. And you know how the Stone Pony had that fence that, that separated the bar from the, 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 the stage area? And I look, and I'm like, is that John Finberg? And Carl goes, stick. Don't do it, bro. I said, yo, Jay! And that was it. We go. Now, we confront him. We're taunting him. You know what I mean? We know he's a booking agent. We can't really believe me. I wanted to fucking smash him myself, but I know I can't because he has control of our band at the moment, you know? So we're doing our, our intimidation type thing. Jay spitting in his face. You know, we're just have, we have him pinned against the fence. You know what I mean? And uh, it calms down for a minute. Then we move from the fence and then a couple of our crew guys come around. And I'll call him CT, Corporate Thug. I don't know if I'm gonna say his real name because, you know, I don't know, Finberg might try to get me on a lawsuit or something. <laughs> so we're standing around and now we're talking about the situation rationally. You know what I mean? And there's a pause. And then CT, Corporate Thug, he goes, he said, hold up for a minute. Let, let me get this straight. This is exactly what he said. He said, this is your tour manager. I said, yeah. And he's going around the clubs. Bad mouthing you guys? He's your booking agent. Yeah. Yeah, I'm booking agent. Yeah, booking agent. My bad. Yeah, booking agent. And I'm like, yeah. Next thing I know, John Friedenberg is out his shoes and slid across the room, slumped up against the wall like this. Out cold, out of shoes. Corporate knocked them out of, knocked them out of shoes. I said, "That's it, yo. We gotta go, we gotta go." And we just left, and then we never, never seen him ever again after that. So I don't know what he's talking about—a sword and coming to his office and dropping off a sword. Because listen, if I'm at that time in my in my life, and I'm coming to your office, it's to cut your head off with a sword, and not to give you a weapon. You know what I mean? Like that. I was like listening to that podcast. I'm like, this dude. Wow, wow. He shouldn't have even. He should have never even brought it up, or he should have just said, "I don't want to talk about it." Pretty sure I brought it up, so that's probably my. But I'm just saying, like, like seriously, the guy should have said, "I don't want to talk about it." As long ago, it happened. It's over. You know what I mean? You know. Listen, I. I would even apologize to that dude because that's the kind of guy I am now. 
You know what I mean? Like, listen, you got reckless and you paid the price. You know what I mean? It is what it is, you know? But like that whole coming to the office and what? <laughs> I never even been to his office. I don't even know where the hell it was. Okay, you so know? I got one last one. And this one I actually don't know is 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 true or not. So you're gonna have to uh uh confirm or 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 disconfirm this. Is it true that you went to the victory office and confronted Tony Victory? No, that's a lie. Okay, that's a that's, that's a-, a lie. But we did we did give him we did, I know Jay ripped into him because like we were on a tour with it was Earth Crisis and VOD and part part of it was with SOD. It was a two week tour. Like it would alternate like some shows with SOD and some shows were Earth Crisis and VOD and SOD and VOD. Like it was bouncing all over the place. And we did one week and then we were heading out to Chicago to play the House of Blues. And our van broke down and the dude wouldn't help us out. And we weren't, you know, we were in Indiana, Lafayette. That's where we broke down. And he did nothing for us. So we had a, I bailed like, cause I had anxiety and stuff. So if we weren't moving. I was bugging out. So I had my baby mama wire us money for me and Jay. And we left, we left the band, Chico, Mike, Jay. We left them there with a broken van. I think somebody came with a record pick up the van and brought it back and people all mad at us because we left the band out there like that. I was like, I wasn't staying, but no, that never happened with, with, I never even met that dude, Tony victory. Jay did all that, all the business in. So I didn't really know much about the, you know, the deals or any of that. I didn't really care. I never, I just wanted to put out my, my venom on the world. That's, I just wanted to spew fucking hate, anger and violence and, and just, you know, get my point across but it worked you know what i mean i mean you know you saw it in 2010 people still loved it then i played in 2014 without original members and it was probably one of the greatest shows for me because my two sons were there the one i met in 2010 and, and you know my my son i raised and the crowd was so into it and then it was you know almost 20 years later was it 20 yeah, 20, 2014. That was like 20 years later. 1994, we started. You know what I mean? So not for that record, but some of the material it did was 20 years old. So it was phenomenal, you know? So I can imagine what it's going to be like if we do it now with the original members. You know, I think uh, for me, it would be the best closure of anger for me to just be like and be peace with it and done, you know? I think that's why I really want Chris to do it because it would just uh, just say goodbye. You know what I mean? Yeah. For for that that chapter of my life because I just want to do do it once and be done and just say goodbye as a band to to the people that really love Fury of Five. There's just there's people out there with tattoos. I mean, one of my friends from Belgium just got a Fury two Fury of Five tattoos. That's how much he loves the band. You know. So there's a lot of love for Fury on the real end of the real people that that's that like real hardcore. But you know, I, I would I I really want to do it with with Chris. So hopefully I can make that happen eventually. But but if Riggs does it, it's cool too. But for me to get the closure that I want would have to be with Chris, you know? 
Yeah, it'd be cool if you did it in Jersey as well, because it seemed like well, it's definitely it's definitely definitely going to be in Jersey. It's definitely going to be in Asbury Park, it, it, whether it's outside of the Stone Pony or somewhere that we rent and build a stage and, and do it that way. It's definitely going to be Asbury Park because that's that's us. Yeah, you know what I mean. We were Asbury Park. You know what I mean. Nobody nobody could come to Asbury Park and dominate like we dominated Asbury Park in the late nineties. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think anybody could. Well, I, I did check out that footage from 2014, and it, it, the band was good. Uh, whoever you guys you got for that, they they see, did did a really good job, and people definitely. Oh yeah. Oh uh, well, Der- well, a couple of those guys are still playing, like uh, Derek. They uh, Bushuda Code. You got to check them out, dude. Hard. No, I've, Very. I've, I've heard that that band has sponsored my podcast before. They're a good band. Yeah, they're they just dropped their new record and it's amazing. I haven't been like into a record where I listened to the beginning and end in a long time, and their record does it for me because it has a lot of crossover elements and you death, the band death, I love. You know what I mean? Like the early death, and uh, they got a lot of that feel. You know what I mean? That like spiritual healing, unplug. You know, like uh, just. That that whole vibe is awesome. You know what I mean? You should really, really like tune into it. It's really good, really well produced. Like it's it's hard hitting, man. I love it, man. I, I heard it. Like I said, they sponsored the the podcast. I thought the stuff sounded really good. Yeah, it's great. And the video was really cool and like very up to date with like environmental stuff. And like the, the video was really dope too. So those big, big shots, Bushuda Code, they're doing it big. They, they even charted on like on iTunes for metal stuff. So it's cool. Great. So just to kind of encapsulate the last uh, part of what we were talking about, kind of telling these stories about the, you know, the fights and all this stuff. And, you know, it's, it's funny in, in, in retrospect, it's fun, like, it's funny, especially like being that my, viewpoint in the stuff was completely far removed because i've never i've never been a tough guy i've never been a i'm you know i've never been a fighter or anything like that so it was always like this urban legend thing but from my perspective as someone who was in a band who was trying to get off the ground around that same time it seemed like that stuff that activity and that reputation became a hindrance for the band to really get to that next level, especially when you get in situations where you're having conflicts with other successful bands or people within the, within the industry. Do you, do you see it the same way? No, I I don't think it, I think the only thing that hindered us was ourselves with internally musically. I think we would have kept on rising because people really loved the, uh, the energy that fury of five delivered. You know what I mean? You know, we had the the look, you know, everything matched. The voice matched the lyrics, the 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 image matched the music. You know what I mean? It was just, it was just mayhem. Like, like, you know what? When I saw Slipknot, like, live the first time, I was like, damn, that's Fury of Five with masks on. You know what I mean? That the, No, that's the, the way they delivered was the same way. You know what I mean? But they had masks on. I said, yo, that's crazy. You know, I don't know if we like, I'm not going to say we influenced that, but that's when I first saw them at Birch Hill and I was and the dudes hitting the drums and I'm like, yo, this is like Fury of Five with masks on, dude. This is crazy to me. And that's what I thought, you know, 
And, and I, I, I like Slipknot. They're fucking hard, dude. Oh, yeah. You know, but uh, you know, I don't think uh, we were hindered though. Like in that aspect, I think that's what made us grow. Like, yo, after uh, you know the 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 Finberg incident, yo, so many people, fans, yo, thank you, yo, we always wanted to do that, but we didn't have the guts. Like so many people were happy that dude got laid out and it was witnessed. You know what I mean? Earth Crisis was there. I don't know what other bands were there, but I know Earth Crisis. They know what they don't. They, they were there, you know, and uh, it was a shot heard around the world. And it really opened up. Then we got on the Dynamo Fest. You know what I mean? Like it, I think it was opening doors for us. Like we were we were getting bigger spots. You know what I mean? We were at Convention Hall. I, I don't know. Did we headline that one stage? I, I don't remember. But Evan came out saying with us, and you know, it was growing, but hindered internally. Yes. Yeah. My 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 antics and my violence and my attitude definitely destroyed the band for sure. No question. Right you on. Well, listen, listen. I, I think one. I think it's commendable that you've kind of evolved as, as a human but also taking efforts to make amends you know and kind of you know and, and i think that, that well, well that's a part of that's that's the part of growing and and learning you know what i mean like you know there's no there's no map for life you know what i mean you you, you live and you learn you know and you know like i said i want to be better than i was today so tomorrow I'm going to try to improve and keep on going forward. I never go backwards. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I don't even want to do reunions because it's going backwards, but the people want it. Yeah. So I do it for the people. I do it because they love it. Not because I love it. I'm over it. I've been over it. I haven't done it in 20 years. It's like, so, you know what I mean? I'm in a different spot in my life. Do I want to tour again? Nah, not really. You know what I mean? Like, thank God I'm not in a band like yourself. I mean, you're probably a little better off than some because you, you know, put out a multi-platinum record, uh, you know, but I look at all my friends, you know, during this time, who's making money, bro? You know what I mean? Like, I've worked the whole time. I, I haven't stopped working since COVID. You know, I was off for two, maybe two weeks when it first shut down. But I've been working ever since. You know what I mean? So my income hasn't changed, unlike some of my friends that live off doing music. You know? I, yeah, I love music. I'm always going to love music. I work out to music. You know what I mean? I drive. I listen to music. But, like, I like creating music. I, I just did a song with Departed called Blood for Blood Dope. I just sang with uh, Reaching Out, try to get them a little hype, you know, some some other band just asked me to do uh, a thing, but I couldn't get studio time for them. First degree from California, and I did uh, I did another feature. What the hell did I do anyway? I don't remember. I'm getting so old, see now. Uh, I just did three. Oh, Mask Up, uh, which is coming out, which is like a super group of like people from Lionheart and Death Before Dishonor, Sworn Enemy, like a whole mix of, of artists. So that. I'm looking forward to that song dropping out. I think I did a real good job on it. I hope, <laughs> you know, but they do that. They, when I sent it to them, they absolutely loved it. So that's good. So they wanted me to address 
how we dominated in the 90s, like the song vibe, you know? So hopefully when that comes out, people like that. It's cool. Well, listen, James, I want to thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show. It's uh, something, you know, your presence in the scene and being kind of uh, an early supporter and being cool and welcoming uh, it's been something that's, that was very influential on myself and I think some other guys in, in, in God forbid. And it's, you know, being a New Jersey band, it was so important to, to have other bands out there that were, A, were good and, and doing things. And that provided inspiration, but also kind of creating that kind of collective community uh, was a, a very cool thing to be a part of. And so, you know, it's something that you know, just having you on this show. I know so many people from our, from that world are really going to be, really going to enjoy this conversation. Uh, yeah, listen, I, I appreciate you reaching out to me, dude. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I always wear it on the sleeve and tell it like it is. You know me. Yeah, you know, I don't front. You know, I, I am who I am. You know what I mean? This, most of the stories are true. Like one we just found out isn't true, you know, but most of them are factual and actual, <laughs> you know, and I don't hide, you know, I, you know, I'm out there. You just see me in New York city diving off a stage, you know, moshing in the pit. I, I, I'm never changed. I will grow and mature to a degree, but I am who I am, you know? And like I said, you know, hopefully we can get this fury of five reunion popping and uh, see what happens from there, man. And I appreciate you having me on the show, bro. Thanks, man. It's really cool. Listen, you, you take care of yourself, and I uh, hope to see you soon, all right? Be well. I know. All right, thanks, man. Peace. Cheers. Four years, been pushed aside, shut out. My food is pride no more. Will this take place, Fury? Won't be disgraced. Four years, been pushed aside, shut out. My food is pride no more. Will this take place? Searching for me to squeeze. They don't wanna show us. They don't wanna give us. They don't even like us. But now they got no All we want is what we are.
take Blake Dory Won't be the straight for years Been pushed aside, shut, shut out My food is right no more We'll dictate Blake Me and Won't be the squares They don't wanna show us They don't wanna give us They don't even like us For now they got no That was Fury 5 with Taken Respect, the Worldwide Edition, which I believe is a re-recorded version. It was having a tough time finding some of their music online. And I found that version, which is an updated 2014, you know, slight got a little more modern production, but sounds pretty faithful to the original with some additives. But I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. As I told you, James, quite the character, many stories. <laughs> Uh, big thanks to him for for doing the show. Like I said, someone I was trying to get on the show for quite some time because I don't think his story is out there that much. And you know, I just kind of have to have to reiterate. Like I said, a lot of those those violent some of those violent stories. You know, I was laughing a little bit, and some of it's it's funny. But I want you know, just want to reiterate, I do not condone any of that activity. You know, especially with the you know stuff with the with the original drummer. I think that's, you know, really messed up. And, you know, I'm glad James, you know, feels bad about it and wants to make amends, but it still doesn't make it. It's not an excuse. Um, but we're trying to grow at that, but it's, it's hard to not to put away those old hardcore story <laughs> energy of just thinking a lot of that stuff is, is, is funny. <laughs> I can't help it. I can't help it. Cause like I said, you don't, I wasn't there for any of it. So in my mind, it almost, visualizes like a cartoon or something and it feels kind of not real but uh but listen this is this is new jersey hardcore it was in many ways defined by its violent streak uh even god forbid's past which you know was a little bit checkered with that but but anyway i'm I'm just i'm did i am very glad i was able to get him on the show because so it makes x-man unique we get some people that just other people aren't aren't talking to and, and i'm i'm very proud of that so we have some cool episodes coming up. We have Ali Steele from Monuments coming up. One of my good friends, one of the best guitar players out there. Uh, and I actually, I think I'm out of episodes. I got to go back to the drawing board and get some guests. So I got to, I got to do some work. I've been, you guys notice, I have, I have a lot going on right now. It's, it's, it's a little crazy, but still got to book some shows, right? These, these, these shows are not going to book themselves. And, but I always try and think of interesting guests, right? I don't, so I don't want it to be boring. I want it to be 
one thing I kind of hate, you know, even, you know, like that Dino show I had, which ended up doing, doing really well, but he, Dino also did every podcast and I kind of hate that. I, I don't really want to be part of the press tour podcast. It's not really that fun, but sometimes it just goes down that way. So I'm going to go to the drawing board, try and figure out some, some cool guests. I have a little master list I'm working through and hopefully we'll, we'll get to some people that you guys would like to hear from someone brought up getting someone from my chemical romance. I'm like, that would be badass because I'm a huge, my chemical romance fan. Shout out New Jersey. They're from North Jersey though. It's like a, almost like a different country. And I thought it was like, that'd be cool. I don't, I don't, I don't have the ends. So, you know, maybe we'll, we'll have to work that out, but bad Wolves album is pretty much done for the most part. So I do have some time, open but i also have some real life bullshit some stuff with my dad's estate i still have to take care of which is never fun but adult shit i hate it all i really want to do is creative stuff make music hang out work on the podcast that's really what i want to do all day i hate adult shit i have like a pile of papers here just you know life stuff insurance and healthcare. it's like i don't i don't want to deal with any of that I don't get on the phone. They put you on hold. You know how it is. Press uh, our, our, excuse me, but our, our menu has changed. Why is the men- menu always changed? Don't like, why do I need to know? I'm just what, like I had the old mem- uh, menu memorized and now I'm going to be like confused that you tell me human resources is press four. That's like, cause it was three last time. Like it's going to screw me up. Just stop telling me that. Okay. You just tell me right away when I can talk to someone. I don't want to talk to no computer. There's, there's certain things AI has not caught up with, and that is in that area, and it's a, it's a trick. All right, y'all. I think I'm blathering at this point, but thank you for checking out the show. It's always uh, it's always appreciated, and you know I've been getting a lot of really nice messages about the program lately. People have been appreciating what I've been doing. People really enjoyed the Wes Hauk episode. It was very long, but Wes was so forthright and open it was a it was really beautiful thing so i've been getting some really nice feedback of people just just you know exclaiming how the show has impacted them in a positive way and that means a lot i really do it really does mean a lot and it's all we can do we we have these moments to reveal i guess our our most intimate selves in the best way possible that the format can provide of course it's not a 100 percent reveal but about as close as we can get and that's what makes the medium beautiful so i will just send my best to all of you uh stay positive keep it rocking and mamba's out Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. 
Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speakers think about jumping off the bed singing along dancing like an idiot and listen to axe grind podcast <laughs>